Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast we've been doing for a long time now, where we just sort of share our take on life as a Watford fan. It's different for you, it's different for everybody. Uh, and another loss, but away against QPR. It's different for everyone, John, but it's also difficult for everyone at the moment, oh, isn't gosh, it? isn't it? Yes, certainly, certainly is. But Hemel Storm won yesterday. <laughs> Half yes. a cheer sporting success. <laughs> yeah, another cup. Uh, still undefeated. And to say, Mike and I have been going to lots of the games recently. Just to see some winning sport, uh, which has always been fantastic to see. Because uh, we haven't really seen it much at Vicarage Road. Uh, so well done to the mighty Storm. But Mike, we're, we're gathering today after the QPR game. It's Sunday. Well, it, it, it's basically this podcast started during the last podcast, didn't it? Well, not the last podcast, last weekend's podcast. It did, and I don't think we're going to talk much about the QPR game. We need to, we need to make that clear at the start of the, of the pod. And the, and the reason why, John, is I feel very firmly that there is no point talking about the football while there is so much clearly wrong at the football club. And the, the, the reason I've had this kind of epiphany, uh, it's probably overblowing it a little bit, but I remember it stuck with me after the Preston game, that nil-nil game, we needed to win, we knew we needed to win, and we got the most extraordinarily turgid, I was going to say tepid, but even we weren't even that, that, that good. It was just a terrible, terrible performance. And we weren't able, as a, as a podcast collective, to understand why. And that left me, I walked away from that, saying, why couldn't we, why couldn't we get our heads around why, things are, why, why that performance happened? And, and I've been thinking about it a lot ever since. And it struck me that the reason is pretty clear. And that reason is there are so many issues at Watford Football Club, so many issues about the way the place is run, so many examples of things being worrying or, or on the face of it incorrect or, or baffling, that it's so big. The, the problems are so big and wide-ranging and deep-rooted that it's impossible to do it huddled around a microphone after, the, after a game by the Hornet shop. I started thinking back to the, over the Pozzo era in effect, and thinking about all the things that have sort of raised eyebrows, concerned people, made us wince, made us sharp intake of breath, stuff that we have not been impressed or proud of as Watford supporters. And John, that is a really, really long list. And when you put that list together, and when you look at it as a whole piece, it is all of a sudden, exceptionally easy to see why players are going onto the pitch and delivering the way they are. They are operating out of a club that is, for all intents and purposes, largely dysfunctional. And I think we need to address it. So it's important that we do, before we, we do that, we make the distinction between Watford, football and yeah. the word club. Because we, we're going to focus on the football and the, the impact that has and what's causing that to be so bad. But the club, Mike cannot be faulted the things it does yeah I mean the club is is the club and it's an entirety and ultimately its job is is to is to deliver on the football pitch which it's failing to do yeah. but you're right John we need to be very very clear and delineate between what the 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 the, the things that are having an impact on the footballing failure are not connected to the huge number of good good people with Watford in their heart doing good good things at this football club. We are leading the way in, in EDI, in equality, diversity and, and inclusion. Um, we are a community club in every sense of the word. We, the, the Junior Hornets, it can be controversial sometimes, but the things that, that Watford do in terms of being a community club, a football club is the heartbeat of a community. And Watford don't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk 
It's easy to come up with slogans. It's easy to come up with initiatives. Watford do it. And the reason they do it is because there's people there that will it into, into reality. They make it happen. So we are not talking about those people. We are recognising the good rate work that is done for, by our club to make to do stuff that we can still be proud of as supporters, of people that, that grew up with the club in, in, in the 80s, proudly telling everyone about the, the, its family tag. That is still in place. And the reason that's still in place is because of the people working their backsides off to make sure that happens in what I assume is a very, very difficult environment. So we, there is a line between those people and what, what we're discussing today. And, and that needs to be clear. The other, I think the other thing we need to do, John, is, is contextualise what we've seen in the, in the Pozzo era and make sure that we don't lose sight of that. Because I saw a, a message from a, a despondent um, supporter on, on social media the other day when Slavin Bilic was replaced with Chris Wilder say my lad is is 10 or 11 years old and already as a Watford supporter he's seen 17 managers it's ridiculous I'm fed up or what the worst of that effect now that's absolutely fine (laughs) to see that number of 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 head coaches in in that time frame is on the face of it pretty ludicrous we know that but it's important to also look at what else has happened in that time frame and what else that's happened in that time frame is that Watford have been promoted they nearly won the championship They've got to an FA Cup final, only the second in our history. We've got to an FA Cup semi-final. We've got to a playoff final. We've had the Troy Deeney moment. We've beaten Arsenal. We've beaten Tottenham. We've beaten Liverpool. We've beaten Man United uh, week in, week out, it felt like. <laughs> so in, in those 10 years, there have been phenomenal achievements for this football club. We have been treated to the most extraordinary decade, really, of footballing moments uh, and memories that, that, that will be talked about for, for eons. So it's important that we recognise, A, there are huge numbers of people doing incredibly good work at our football club that we can be immensely proud of. And B, from a footballing point of view, in patches, admittedly, we have been treated to some phenomenal stuff. However, we cannot now continue to use that as a reason to ignore what is dragging down the, the, the it is dragging down the club because those good people are having to work against a an increasingly negative backdrop so it's important we look at what is going wrong and and just question why because lots of fans have this thing where they want to know the ins and outs the what's going on the strategy tell us a strategy um they get dismissed at the the, the manager changes and and for me it it I, I can't see how the policy has changed in the every era, every year of the of the Pozzo era that we've had. You know, Gino has a way of of running a football club. You know, firstly, it is to uh, buy players um, and assemble a, a good squad, and to use the manager as they did this week uh, to be the thing where you can make a change. That's been the same for over 10 years now. And when people say, I don't know what the, the aim of Watford Football Club is and what the policy is, please tell me what it is. I always think it's quite obvious. It's Gino wanting to, to buy players, to shine players, to sell them on. It is using, as I said, the, the manager to be the one to make tweaks because just the way the transfer window works. And they want Watford to be as high in the footballing pyramid as as they they can and and i think sometimes it's, it's we want to go beyond that a little bit with this we want to go beyond actually 
trying to understand things and what's going on at the club. We want to try and figure out, in terms of you know, the, the policies and the, the aim of the club, is actually what's going on at the club, isn't it? I don't think there's any doubt that Gino Pozzo wants Watford to be successful for a whole host of reasons. He wants Watford to be in the Premier League and he wants them to be as successful as possible. I don't think that is in doubt. What is now in complete doubt is the decision-making that is going on on a regular basis at our football club and appears to have gone on for a considerable amount of time at our football club. That bears scrutiny. That needs scrutiny. And that scrutiny needs to start now. Because And, and, and the first thing, John, I wanted to, to, to touch on was the treatment of, of, of players over the, over the years. We've seen some tremendous players come and, come and go from, from the football club. I think at the moment... Um, the, the quality of the players that Gino Pozzo has brought in over the years has probably papered over a lot of the cracks that are now surfacing pretty evidently. We were good enough, those players were good enough to just to trot out on a Saturday afternoon or Tuesday evening and they're that good that they just cannot fail to, to play well. I think those players aren't there anymore and we're seeing what happens when a, a team of unmotivated individuals representing a dysfunctional club go out across the white line and there's just a few examples I wanted to talk about and the first one is is the treatment of of Will Hughes and you know it's word has has come out we've we've been told by people who who we trust that that Will Hughes was told to train with the under 21s Um, and okay so there was obviously an impasse between Will Hughes and the club and in, in terms of a contract there was obviously wranglings those wranglings obviously weren't going anywhere and that's how the club decided to to, to act and I think the same was with, with Andre Gray admittedly Andre Gray didn't have a successful career on the pitch as, as Will Hughes but they both had one thing in common John and that is they're very very popular in the dressing room now I don't think it's uncommon for players who are playing hardball with a, to try and get a better contract to be treated with a hardball approach back I don't think that's uncommon at all but what I think is uncommon and is, is questionable is are you thinking about the impact that your behaviour towards these players has on the squad as a whole? Because I don't think there was any reason that Will Hughes wanted to leave the football club. I don't think he wanted to stay. I think he was happy with Watford and probably would be club captain this, this season or perhaps even sooner had he stayed. So the, the treatment of those guys has a ripple effect. We've seen Glenn Murray tweet this this week um, out against against Watford with pretty um, uh, pretty terse uh, message from Glenn Murray and again he wasn't a, a, a mega performer for Watford but but rumor has it he was treated pretty badly so there's enough evidence of of players being treated pretty shoddily for us to say well you need to you need to know why you're doing it you need to understand the the potential um, impact of that. And it's the human beings, isn't it, I suppose, for me. You know, they are human beings. They aren't assets. I know that it's so easy when these things and these players are being paid millions of pounds and they cost millions of pounds that you don't look at them in the same way. But I think the most important thing you said there, Mike, is the ripple effect. Because it doesn't just sit on Will Hughes's shoulders and just purely on him if he's treated badly. They would all then worry that, what if it's me? And that's where the the the, you know, the atmosphere and yeah the commitment of players would would start to to change because of because of worrying. And I've been in an, an environment where that, that that's happened. When you worry too much about the leadership ahead of you, you cannot function properly. And I think you've actually hit the nail on the head with the uh, with the Will Hughes comment there, John. The whole thing is 
poor treatment. And we saw that particularly with, with Adrian Mariapa. You know, the way that Adrian left someone who, as football fans, you know, we've seen grow up. Um, and we've seen him, you know, throughout his most of his career. And it was, you know, that, that for me, I don't think I ever heard anybody really say anything in not a positive light, but even, a, well, we understand. You know, it's like that's everyone feels bad about the way Adrian was cheated, uh, treated uh, when he when he departed with n- nothing, not a not a acknowledgement. I know that there was an event planned and that didn't happen, but there wasn't a tweet saying thanks a lot for coming. Uh, we yeah. appreciate everything that you've done over God knows how many years. And I think to, to bring us bang up to date, obviously there's been the story about the money, the extra money being asked for for the for the for the food in the in the canteen. And I think my understanding is that it's a common thing in football yeah. that that players do make a contribution to the food. So that in itself isn't isn't odd or strange. That happens and it, it was agreement in place. What strikes me, or what appears to be the case for me, is the way in which this increase has been either requested or just taken has, has manifested itself. It feels like to me, reading between the lines, and I'm not at the training ground, I might have this completely wrong, but just looking at the story... It feels like the reason this has come out is not because the payments are being made. That is something that happens. It's the way the increase was foisted upon people. And again, so all of a sudden you look at your pay slip and money's money's coming out. And it, and yes, for for footballers, and an extra couple of hundred quid is an extra couple of hundred quid. It's not the same as you or me missing out on that on our on our pay packet. But it, it's still a message, isn't it? And, and if you're a staff member looking at that and you're thinking, well, the players are getting treated like this, you could on one hand think, well, they can afford it, they'll be fine, which they will. But you're also going to be thinking, well, what if they try that on us? Or what if they do that? What if they do that to us? Is it any wonder that players are looking lacklustre if this, if, this if this is the situation behind the scenes? It leads on to, on to finances and, and, and money. And this is one area that I, not that I don't feel confident about, because it's it's finances, and we are sort of still waiting for the next financial um, statements to be coming out that have to be reported. Those are always a year late. Um, they're always about the previous season. So the one we'll get will be up to uh, June last year, uh, which will be where we yeah. were in the Premier League. And, and you know, to get a true look at it, I suppose um, how that looked, you know, almost a year ago. But still, it, you know, that will be interesting to to see, and and if. We can find people to help us out, look at it and sort of see where it goes um, and what we might expect in the future uh, in this coming year or what we might expect to see in a year's time for what's happened, where where we ended up um, a year yeah. ago. Oh, so complicated. But you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, but the fact yeah. that we, we do see, and you know, we see these loans from Macquarie, um, you know, these money they're taking out. And again, I, I don't know if that's a, a that it, it's always terrible if you're having, it feels terrible, you know, if you're having to take a loan out um, on things from a personal point of view because somewhere along the line you're it's probably because you've got a shortfall again not knowing financially is it speculative to get money uh, ahead of time so you're a bit more a bit more cash in the in the pocket or, or what is it really and what is the point and and we don't know I remember from the fans uh, committee meeting yes that meeting you know Scott saying he took one of those loans out prior to the upcoming at that point anyway war in ukraine and you think okay well maybe it was speculative maybe it was a way of getting money now at a good rate but then 
you talk about rates i don't know things about rates and what have you but but there's that and then there's also when you add into it the things like the sale of camara or not sale of camara the camara story is a good thing because it brings us up to date but if you bookend it with if you cast your mind all the way back when when there was the issue about the forged bank mm, letter of course so that was right quite near the start and now bringing it up to sort of up to date we've got the the camara um sale and loan back and with all the best will in the world, uh, you know, is Kamara worth the best part of 17 million quid? Well, I'm not a football not agent. Year. I'm not. It's not my money. Um, so it's not up to me. If I owned a football club, would I spend 17 million on um, on Hassan Kamara? I would think long and hard about it. Put it that way. <laughs> and if you are selling a player and loaning him back the same day for an extraordinary high fee, what, why are you doing that is, is my question. And if you go back to the forged bank letter at the start of this, which was way back when, if you're having to forge documents, or why are you doing that? What is the... Now, there may be a perfectly legitimate reason for it. And the same with the Macquarie loans, John. On the the face of it, they've been secured on what looks like to be parachute payments or or payments that are due for for transfer instalments. So that's getting money in advance that is due us in the future. So you're absolutely right to, to put a whacking great caveat on this conversation in terms of, yeah, I've said it before, anyone that looks at my bank balance and my bank statement will be only too aware that I am not a, someone um, to talk about, about accounting and financing. But these are things that just look like red flags. They look like alarm bells, getting money in advance, paperwork issues sale and 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 loan backs of of players for eyebrow raising fees from absolutely nowhere from your from your sister club we've talked earlier about the about the about the stuff at the at the club with the canteen eking up the amount of money that the the players are paying for food and staff are paying for food there are lots if you look at it over the over the whole piece there are just Red flags for me in terms of in terms of finances and 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 where we're going and and where we're at. It's there's just if you look at it all, there's for me there's problems that we may be absolutely fine and all the all the um, financing may have been done like you say, John, with a with a plan in mind um, and it might be prudent and sensible. But on the flip side of that, it absolutely might not be. We know that sometimes football can be the, the wild, wild west. We know how many clubs end up struggling for one reason or another. Um, it's a very, very difficult industry to operate in. Uh, success is not guaranteed. It, depend, uh, it doesn't matter how much you spend. It doesn't matter how, who your players are. It doesn't matter who your manager is. Success isn't guaranteed. It's a, there is an element of chaos to, to football and you can end up losing a lot of money trying to get out of the championship, for example. So I get how it can go wrong. But it would be remiss of me to say that I'm just not worried about, mm. about the, how the, the club has been run over the years from a financial point of view and, and perhaps more pertinently where we are now because there seem to be, for me, enough reasons to be worried about, about the money side of things. And what, what's irritating about that is that it looks like there's, we, we're, we're looking to save money in certain areas, which we've talked about already, Yet on the other hand, we're talking about paying off another head coach to the tune of whatever it is, four hundred thousand pounds. 
and maybe there'll be a deal done there and and, and, and whatever is paid is paid. So we're able to to pay off these these massive payoffs, 17 of them they'll have been, if that's the, if that's the actual figure, but yet we're struggling elsewhere as a, as a result of that. And that goes down to if we didn't have this, this lack of focus and, and, and performance, would we be having to get rid of these managers and paying them off? So you can see how it all snowballs and overlaps and moulds into, melds into one sort of massive blob of really quite concerning situations. If the, if the, if the setup at the club was better, we're not getting rid of so many head coaches and it's not costing us so much and we might not be in such a financial, well, what appears to be a financially distressed state. Again, look, I don't know. I'm just saying that this is what it looks like to me. And you are right because I suppose the financial side of things and our choices being made and deals being done and loans being taken out doesn't necessarily affect the football side of things. We ha- You have talked, of course, about the, the contracts and the, the for the managers and the contracts for the players. So it, 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 does, it doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that it affects that the question that everyone's waiting for me to ask you mike is pots are in or pots are out and i suppose that what i don't like that as a question it's it's, it's too one way or the other it, it really come down to me is well who's in charge what are they in charge of and does someone have a overcasting wand where they then come over the top of it I think that's a really good point and a pertinent question who's in charge because Gino Pozzo obviously is in ultimate charge. Well, not necessarily. He own, he's the owner without a title in terms of he, he has no exec, he's not the you know it it feels like we have a chairman and we have a chief executive in Scott Duxbury. He feels like he is the executive president of the club. But I have to put the word executive because he is dealing daily in what goes on because he lives and works at the, at the training ground doesn't live there so he works at the training ground <laughs> so that that sort of that's where you think he, he is acting like because yeah because he is part of it he, he has a job but he's still the man with no title yeah but he owns the football club and mm. I, my take is, is pretty simple what Gino says goes yeah that 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 is that is the, the bottom line of it with, with whether we managed to give him a title or not I'm sure he'd be happy with the one you bestowed upon him John <laughs> Um, if you're listening, Gino, let us know if you're um, um, if you're happy, happy with, with that. executive president. Yeah. To, to make a serious point, who is in charge? Gino ultimately is in charge. Mm. He wields the axe. It's him. It's his way or the highway, which is absolutely fine. He's the owner of the football club. The buck stops with him, so he's entitled to make those decisions. But we've got Scott Duxbury at the football club. We've got Cristiano Giretta at the football club, and we've got Ben Manga and Helena Costa at the football club, all in senior, senior positions, all based at the, uh, at the training ground, some of whom we've never really heard from at all in the shape of Cristiano Gioretta. What is he supposed to be doing? What does he do? What is his role? Scott Duxbury has been um, marginalised since the Rob Andrew... And Andrew uh, Sorry, since I can't say his name properly now because he manages them up the, ro- up the road. So I'm not even going to say his name. Since the Rob misadventure, he was effectively thrown under the bus after his yeah. fulsome praise for the project. And then he was unceremoniously dumped after 10, 10 games, leaving Scott Duxbury with effectively nowhere to go. His credibility was undermined by the failure of that, that project. And that's, that's not Scott's fault at all for me. I think that shows that he was... Undermined. So we've got Scott there, we've got Cristiano Giretta there, and we've got um, Ben Manga and uh, Helena Costa, with Ben Manga's name being attached now mm. to, to the main comps that come out of the club. 
So throw Gino into the mix there. Scott, we haven't heard from since then. Cristiano Gioretta, if we've got Ben Manger in now and Helena Costa, what is his role? What's his job? What's he for? Why is he taking a salary? What is his input, impact on the, on the football club on the, and the wider environment and culture of the football club? How do those three work together? How do they work with the players? How do they work with staff? No one knows. But for me, the, 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 the lack of not hearing from Scott is understandable, but is worrying. No one knowing what Cristiano Giretta does is, is worrying. Mr. Bayat is there and what's his role? We're not going to go into, into his situation because I think there is enough in the public domain. If you Google him, what will come up initially will be probably stuff that would concern you as a, as a, as a, as a Watford fan. So that's another, another question. I find the, the thing about the Ben turning up, Mr. Manga turning up, is it feels like... Gino's version of Rob Edwards. Him's going, right, I do need to change things. Maybe he's refocusing how much time he's playing at the club or he's trying to revitalise the player recruitment because maybe a, a chunk of the Pozzo Network boys have, have, have left or retiring or whatever it is. And he sort of sees Ben as this, this, this person who can do some great things in buying and selling. You know, is he now... With with that, with the manager we have next year, you feel will be Ben's choice or heavily Ben's choice. This one now with with Chrissy Wilder, it really doesn't feel like it's it's just a choice because it, it it's needed now. Where if we end up having a better choice that fits with Ben, then we might not have to have sudden changes all over the place because it's a little bit more joined up, which it feels like at the moment. I'm going to come back to you, John, on that. And I'll tell you that in my view, my considered opinion, and I know I get laughed at for being negative and miserable Mike and all that sort of nonsense. I'll tell you now, it doesn't matter who chooses which manager comes in next season if the situation is still the same as it is now. It is like a cloud hanging over the football club that that cannot be changed with a new head coach with a decent summer transfer window, with a change in formation, with the right substitutions at the right time, it won't ever make a difference because players are going. We are putting a, we are putting players out from a dysfunctional situation. You need to be if you're in the Premier League, you need to be absolutely a hundred percent at it if Watford Football Club are ever going to go and get any points off off the opposition. If they're not, you're dead before you've even started. In the championship, you have got to sweat blood and tears to... I don't even know if that's a phrase, but you know what I mean. You have got to give absolutely everything if you're going to get out of this this division. And we've seen what happens when you're not at it. You end up in 11th place with a decent sort of roster of players, but an absolutely pathetic array of, of performances. So unless... All everything that we've discussed today, the culture and the environment changes almost entirely. I would say it's impossible, not impossible, but is so, so unlikely that the football is going to get any better anytime soon. Now, look, I'm going to I'm going to I am going to put a caveat in there because I'll go back to what I said at the start. Gino Pozzo wants Watford to be successful. You could argue from a financial point of view, if the, the red flags that I see are reality, he needs Watford to be successful and you could there could be a, a, an instance whereby he's got Ben Manger in he's got Costa in 
in terms of a, um, a, a scouting network to reinvigorate that, to get us back to where we were in terms of making decent recruitment. We'll, it, it looks almost certain that we won't be anywhere near getting promoted this season. So that would, you'd expect to see the likes of Jao Pedro leave, Ismail Assar leave, uh, Imran Loser leave to plug the financial gap, perhaps Daniel Backman to, to get some money, Chowdhury going back on loan, uh, back on loan Davis going back, um, Martin's going back. It's going to be a completely different team next year. And you could argue that for all the reasons we've outlined, that there is, there is a club and a team and a squad tainted by being in and around this, what seems to be um, such a, well, let's say it again, untrusting, um, uncertain environment, that getting new players in, building them into the image of, of Ben Manga might work. It might work and we might kickstart our season and the, the whole sort of joyful ride that we had under the initial years uh, of Gino Pozzo might, 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 might kickstart kick again. But I am convinced, utterly convinced, that unless there is root and branch change of attitude and actions at the football club, and again, going back to not, not the guys that we know put in the hard work, but Gino Pozzo has to change the way he runs this football club. Gino Pozzo has to change the way that the culture has developed at Watford Football Club. Gino Pozzo has to change the way that this environment exists at Watford Football Club. Don't drag Watford's name through the mud if you can help it. Don't make, make sure that we're not ending up at the court of arbitration for sport um, a, 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 as many times as we are. These are all decisions within the owner's gift. These are all decisions that the owner, for me, in my view, is getting comprehensively wrong. It's, and it's ruining the football club. And that is why we're seeing what we're seeing on the pitch. It doesn't matter if Chris Wilder plays 3-5-2. It doesn't matter if Ismail Asar is injured. It doesn't matter who is coming in next year. Unless, unless... These players are walking onto the pitch, representing a club they can believe in. That, to me, doesn't feel like the situation at the moment. And that, John, is down to Gino Pozzo. The hard thing is the frustration of fans, particularly one yesterday who went on the pitch and you hear about infighting at QPR within the fans in the, in the upper tier. And you hear all these things and it's, it's, a, it's a lot of people. And a football club is... You know, Watford Football Club in particular, and those who have the ownership model that we have, you know, aren't public companies. It's the most public private company you could ever own, um, and that's the that's the annoyance, I suppose, for so and the frustration for so so many fans. For all of us, John, for every yeah. fan, because we we all whether however you approach supporterdom, however you approach your Watford supporting life, there is one thing, one thing that we all want. And that is for the football, for the team to be successful. And when the team isn't successful and when it seems so self-inflicted, so senseless, so needless, that's where these frustrations come from. And we hear so little that makes sense at the moment. And there are so many conflicting actions that, that seem to be to the detriment of the football club. So, so there are some people, that, that, that football fans, that will go to a game and wouldn't countenance booing. That is absolutely fine. There are other fans that will go to, to, to football games and will, will boo from minute one because they don't, it's not going the way they want it. Both are absolutely fine. Both want the same thing, which is success for our football club. As Watford supporters, we should be united in maintaining that front of wanting the best 
from this group of players on the pitch. When they cross the white line, we should want to see... Well, we do want to see the best... I think what I have come to the conclusion is that the, the reason we're not getting it is for bigger reasons than, than tactics and transfer windows or whatever. And I think that potentially gives us something to unite behind. You know, love the team, support the team, get your frustrations out on a Saturday or a Tuesday, make some noise, stamp your feet, clap your hands, chant, sing, get behind this club that we all love. But I, for one, cannot in good conscience come onto a podcast and talk about the, the intricacies of um, why we only had one shot against, shot against QPR. Not least of all, because I haven't got the energy to discuss such a, a, a dreadful performance as that we saw at Loftus Road, but because it doesn't matter. That's not the important thing. There is a heartbeat, there is a pilot light at this football club and it is being kept alight by people who live and breathe the football club like we do. Like the people fighting the stands yesterday, like the people who have season tickets, like the people who drive 300, 400, 500 mile round trips to go to Vicarage Road and support this balmy team of ours week in, week out. There are people there keeping that pilot light alight and we're in a battle to help them do that, I think. And we need to just be so clear that we want, need and deserve better for the way our football club is run and treated. There are decisions that can be made that can change that and improve it. We need to see it. We deserve to see it so we can get on with the business of supporting the club we love. Thank you very much for listening to From the Rookie End. Mike, over the last 13 years, us sitting down and talking about it, be it outside a ground in our homes, at the pub. It helps a little bit to, to get our thoughts together. And, and we really want to know where your thoughts are uh, on everything that we've said. The email is podcast at fromtherookerend.com. Uh, if you can send any messages or any thoughts that you have that are you know, add to what we've already talked about. Um, we're not after tittle-tattle stories that I've heard this as well, and I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. It's, it's more about how you've, you are at the moment as a Watford fan. And maybe it's even telling us what you really wish your football fandom to be and what you maybe go clinging on to a little bit at the moment because there's not worth clinging on to any hopes of promotion. It feels that way at least. I think that's important about having a a think about what you want your football fandom to be, John, because ultimately if Watford were in Conference South, I would still go and I would still be excited to, to go and watch Watford play football they are such an integral part of my being, of my life. I'm going to go and watch them, whether they're in the Championship, the Champions League or the Conference. And, and that's, that's, I'm on board with that. I've signed the contract and I'm, I'm with it. I'm on the board, the roller coaster, until the day I, I, I shuffle off this, this mortal coil. And I think everyone probably listening is, is in a similar boat. But everyone also is in, is in just because we'll go doesn't mean that we're not entitled to be worried and upset and entitled to be worried and upset i think the important thing is potentially how for me anyway i can only speak for myself is how you channel it and i'm very very lucky because i've just had had the opportunity to speak on this podcast and make myself feel better um and that's it's great it's cathartic the podcast has been fantastic for me um, as a as a thing over the years, and I'm hugely grateful for for everyone that listens to to, to my incessant waffle. But I, I think it's really important to 
if you agree with what I say, think about what that means to you. And to, do you know what I mean? And how it manifests itself. It's, it doesn't need to overtake everything. Just sort of work out what you want your footballing supportership to be. Um, and don't be afraid of that. It's not right or it's not wrong. Unless, of course, it, it strays into the stuff that's illegal or unpleasant or, or whatever. It's, being a football fan is very, very personal. And, and, and I recognise how lucky I am to have this platform to get it all off my chest. And it is only my opinion. It's, I could have got everything completely wrong. Yeah, it just goes back to your question. What, what you want your footballing supporter cause, ship to be? Because I don't need... For me to enjoy Watford... I don't need them to be winning every week because I get to see you, John. Uh, I get to talk to my mum on the way home about it. I, I get to take the mick out of people at work. They get to take the mick out of, uh, out of me. That's, that is what it is to me. That is the essence of it, the, the, the community element of it, the, the shared experience, not just with Watford fans, but other fans. That is what it is. It doesn't make a material difference to me if Watford win the Champions League. I don't get a bonus. I don't get a medal. Life will go on as normal. But of course I want Watford to, 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 to win but more than anything, what I want is a club to be proud of. I, it, it's so important to me that something I give so much of myself to is worth that. And there are pockets of this football club that are absolutely 100% worth that. The community work, the EDI work, the junior horn stuff, all that. I love it with, with a passion. I am so proud of it. And it, and it gives me life force it gives me energy it thinks that thing that i dedicate so much time to does great things for a lot of people but i need to be proud of the other elements of it as well and at the moment i'm not and i need and want a lot lot more thank you very much michael thank you to thank you john thank you for putting up for me uh, on this uh, slightly different from the and thanks uh, for you listening and like John said share your thoughts I think it's cathartic it's helpful to to talk about it and and let's let's try and work out where we're at where we what we do next if anything how we cope with it how we move how we move forward how we make the best of this situation but most importantly how we enjoy how we get as much as possible out of out of being a Watford supporter I'd love to hear your thoughts um, because talking about it as in everything, hopefully we'll, we'll make, it, make it better. Thank you so much for listening. Is your mum all right, by the way, after born with being Liverpool? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely miserable. She couldn't believe, yeah, she's, uh, she's struggling a little bit. I think, uh, I think Dad's gone down to, uh, to Dixon's to get another TV after the remote uh, disappeared. <laughs> she, she keeps throwing it at that, uh, that Bournemouth emblem. She's all right. Hang in there, Mum. Uh, and we're back. Uh, we're gonna do, we do a podcast after Birmingham. We'll have we'll have two games under Chrissy Wilder to uh, to discuss, uh, and uh, we'll see how uh, how that's going. It might not be a long podcast because not a lot might have changed. Thank you so much, for listening from the weekend. Do tell your friends. Do follow us on all the social platforms where you can find at What the Podcast. And thank you much for listening, as many of you have done for the last thirteen seasons. Come on, you all! 